Hello, friends, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, of course. It's great to be back with you uh, for another conversation with one of the amazing humans from the, the orbit of the Stanford D School, uh, amazing gentleman called Ashish Goel. And so we're going to dive into a range of his work. I mean, Ashish is a designer and entrepreneur, and he was a former, well, he's a former teaching fellow at the Stanford D School, and also a collaborator on the Stanford 2025 project, which we've heard about, which is how do you design for this kind of future of learning in a, in a higher education space. Uh, Goel has taught classes on media, communication, and data design, and he's the former head of design at Zomato, India's largest scale Yelp, and has launched and run design divisions for multiple international companies. He lives in Gurugam, Gurugram, India. Um, I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Ashish, I'm working <laughs> on my, my Hindi. Um, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Luca. It's great to be here. I just know this is going to be a great conversation. I've got in my hand the wonderful book that you've put together as part of the Stanford D School Guide series on drawing on courage. Oh, so I want to really, we're going to get into that. The first question I always ask is what's something that you've learned recently or that you're in the process of learning that you might want to share? Mm. Um, I was thinking about something simple that I've learned recently and I'm, uh, this is the third time I'm trying to get better at tennis. I started okay. as a kid okay. Okay. and then <laughs> I uh, took some coaching in graduate school and I learned, I'm learning how to hit a better backhand and I always thought a backhand was just mirrored uh, a forehand and I realized that a forehand is more horizontal and a backhand is more vertical so that is I so didn't realize that it, that it would not mirror this <laughs> <laughs> one shot would not mirror the other it's such an interesting thing I never even thought about that I mean <laughs> I'm not I'm okay at tennis but I, I can only do a, a slice backhand really and that was my whole thing oh, every backhand's a slice and then but, you know, and I love the fact you say this is the third time yeah. that you're going. <laughs> yes, yes. I think the first time I was a kid, I've, I've been a bit of a dabbler growing up that I would, I would be like, this would be exciting to do. Then I would do it and then I would drop off. Yeah. So I remember trying to learn the synthesizer, trying to learn the guitar. Tennis was one of those things. Uh, and then I'm like, no, no, I'm going to pick it up again. Uh, that time I just got busy. Hopefully this time, third time lucky, this time it would stick. That's so good. I mean, I, I always, I often think about all the conversations we've had uh, on this on this podcast, but also beyond, you know, that learning, often we think of learning as trying to get to a particular outcome, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, the reason to learn how to play tennis is so I can play tennis. But it's the process of learning, which is playing, you know, it's the playfulness of that, that learning is really the fabric of life in so many ways, you know, as we step into these new spaces. Absolutely. Each time I'm on the court with the coach telling me something, I'm also in this stance right now where I lead a team of designers and product managers at an Indian technology company. Yeah. And when I'm on the tennis court, not hitting a shot right, and then I'm like, oh, I didn't get that right. And the coach's like, don't worry, you'll get it the next time. Um, it also reminds me that being a manager is about driving outcomes and output through your team, but it's also being a coach and recognizing that we're all doing, but also learning. And I think mm. you forget that when you are in the middle of an organization that's trying to, you know, increase its valuation. Sure. Or change and the world for that matter. Well, abs well absolutely. And those, 
let's, t- let's take me take us into this big idea that you've been really exploring because I think not just through learning tennis but also some of your incredible professional work in this idea of kind of understanding courage and the role yeah. that it plays in learning the role it plays yeah. in growth and development in yeah. in really us being able to live you know, fully manifested lives to be honest to, to kind of reach that that potential to be able to step into the unknown and you know the fear all the fears and the blockers and the barriers give us a give us a lay of the land of courage as a you know in, in the way that you've documented it here yes um before i get to the themes i talk about in my book drawing on courage i also want to talk about how I, how i got to thinking about this topic and then writing about this topic Great. um as you mentioned i was a teaching fellow at the d school and i've in the past i've described the d school with many adjectives it's a fun place to be it's a creative place to be it's a weird place to be uh, and what i've identified the d school to be is really an encouraging place mm. because they bring all these people who may be doctors or mba students or engineers and then we ask them to try some an activity from improv theater we ask them to go and talk to people in the real world we ask them to make something with like uh just paper and uh pipe cleaners and when you're there all of that feels really weird yeah. but the d school normalizes it through uh the teachers and facilitators who model those behaviors by the environment and so on and so forth so so it's a very it's an encouraging environment where you don't it's easy for you to act with courage and take yeah. a little risk take a creative risk and when i left the those the environments of the d school and came back to india back in 2015 uh to lead design at zomato as you mentioned uh I, the environment had changed sure. and i felt like in many ways i was the I was I was on my own. Is I was on my own if I yeah. wanted to yeah. try something weird, say why don't we do it this way? Um and then when you don't have obvious collaborators uh or partners in adventure, how do you like express yourself, bring change mm-hmm. to an environment, just speak up. Uh and that's what sort of pointed me to this idea of courage that uh there are times that you can't you're unprepared it's a state yeah. of unreadiness <laughs> and yet you have to take action for something that you care about um and and then when uh the d school said oh we're doing this series of books and we explore a bunch of themes and this is the one that i thought it'll be mm. really interesting to explore as as fuzzy and esoteric it is and that's what that's what's on the book I love it. I, one part here, Ashish, is you know, as you share your journey, yeah, I think about what you've documented here around the journey of courage, the courage yes. journey. You know, the yes. first stop being, you know, fear coming first, then values yes. forming a scaffold, and then action, and then change. Um, yeah, you know, and this, this, I mean, you also get some great definitions from different people here. Some are quite yeah. funny. You know, the ability to do something <laughs> that frightens one. Oxford, of course. Yes, Emmanuel Kant. capacity to resist a strong but unjust opponent Hemingway grace under pressure um Brené Brown how vulnerable you are Celine Dion's my favorite my 27th studio album 
Yeah, this is going on. And of course, Apple, Apple's marketing chief removing the headphone jack from the iPhone. So it does seem really contextual. And I think your experience of, um, you know, both of us have the privilege of being in that de-school environment where, you know, yes. in some ways it doesn't even feel courageous anymore. It just feels the norm. You know, yes. it's like, it was like, why would it feel courageous to not to, not, you know, take risks. It's kind of, so there's something around the shaping of the culture and the context um, yes. that I think is so interesting, you know, and, and that piece around fear. And one, mind you, one thing that is universal is a fear that we all sometimes feel, you know, yes. in, in a particular context. So give us, give us a bit of a sense of how, you know, that journey of courage as, as you've seen it. Yes. Yes. Um, so when I was writing this book, I spoke to a lot of people about um, what did their what was the moment of what was the moment in their life that they needed a bit of courage. Mm. Um, a friend of mine, he's a dentist. He was talking about doing his first surgery that took a bit of courage. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there was a friend of mine. She runs a design studio, and she she said she said she said she didn't have money to pay her her staff. And she had made this promise to herself that if she ever reaches that point, she will shut down the company. And then she was up all night wondering what to do. But what she did instead in the morning is she called two of her clients to advance, to offer an advance so that she could then do work for them in the future. And she said that was the courageous thing to do. Yeah. And when I was looking at all of these journeys, um, I was trying to zoom out and look at, okay, what what shapes all of these moments and I landed on what I call the journey of courage which is these four stops and the first one is fear Uh, as I said the thing that the reason that you need courage is that you don't know how things are going to play out there is the future is uncertain Mm. and and not just uncertain it's actually the consequences might be quite bad so that's why you're scared of what lies ahead. And yet, so that's the first stop. The second stop is values or something that still pulls you to take action. Um, so that's the second stop, values. It could be something that you care about. It might be a cause that you care about. Mm. So you have those two opposing forces. One's pulling you back, one's pushing you forward. Uh, so that takes you to the third stop is action because it really is up to you. There, even if you don't do it, things might not really change. There's, you might have asked friends, but ultimately, um, thing about courage is that it's voluntary. You have to make the choice to act or not to act. And then the fourth stop is what actually happens, which is change. Whether you change or what you're trying to bring, the environment you're trying to change, something changes there. So whether sometimes the journey of courage is very long, say if you're starting, you're mulling over starting a business, you might think about it for days, what's gonna happen, what might not happen. Um, You take a step and the consequences then last for years. Mm. And sometimes it's just a moment. It might might be, you know, just walking across uh, the street and talking to a stranger. So whether the journey is really compressed or really elongated, I do think it goes through those four four stops. Four moments. It's so, that's so interesting. I, I love also this other part that you speak to here in, in the book. Um, the difference between everyday courage and epic courage. And just as you were speaking, then I was thinking about, you know, each of us in our day-to-day lives, there are the moments, even just saying kind of hello to a stranger or yeah. 
do you need some help with your, you know, like that, that even there's still that little space where you're like, oh, I don't know if this is okay to, you know, so I'm, I'm interested in the distinction between those two things. And, you know, are there okay. moments in, we all have everyday courage, but what, how do we, when, when are those times where there's epic courage required or when we're called into that kind of greatness as well? Yeah, I think if, if anything, we usually associate um, the word courage with big momentous acts. In, when I was researching for the book, I came across a civil courage prize that's awarded to people who've shown steadfast resistance to evil. You know, and wow. that sounds like, yes, that sounds courageous. The, the story in a book about uh, this woman named Shanaz Bukhari who uh, courted jail time for, uh, you know, fighting against domestic violence in Pakistan. And that's what we associate with the word courage. Mm. And what I really wanted to do was bring it down to one's everyday. Uh, you mentioned the topic of talking to strangers and there's somebody in my team who said, oh, I was looking at your book. I looked at one of the previews on Amazon. One of the examples was talking to a stranger and I've been scared to speak to you. But, huh. and, and, I, and, in, and in, the, in the example, I'm like, you don't have to have a long conversation, just say hi. So he comes up to me and says, hi. And I said, hi. And, and I said, and? And he said, that's it. Your advice was to just say hi to a stranger. And then we had like a 40-minute conversation. And <laughs> that's it, was, it. It was such a nice moment to have wow. someone read, like take that little, little moment of everyday courage. And, and he was like, I didn't know what to expect from this conversation. It was so great. And so on and so forth. Uh, and I don't know if all of us, uh, in the book I do talk about... Uh, you know, practicing everyday courage in all of these moments and so that when it does come to it that you have to really stand up for a cause, that you really have to, I don't know, go on strike or really put yourself out there, yeah. that you are ready for it. Uh, but yeah, I, like in the, it's, it's hard to say whether or not you, you will take action when that mm. moment does present itself because each, each of those dilemmas are different. The texture of fear is the same. The amount of fear might vary. So, yeah, so who knows mm. when, when we have a moment that calls for epic courage, whether we'll, we'll be up for it. But my hope is that if we practice a little more everyday courage, we might We're be. more prepared. Yeah, there's something about mindset here that we often talk about in schools, isn't there? This, yeah. You know, yes, the, the Carol Dweck work of fixed mindset versus growth mindset. And yeah. I feel like there's an evolution of that, you know, towards generous mindset, collective mindset for, mm. um, you know, human flourishing perhaps, or maybe even biospheric flourishing, you know, relationship yeah. to nature. Um, so what's your reflection on, on mindset? Is, do we just need to practice courage to become more courageous? Because I, I do think there's something that you've detailed really well, and most of us would agree listening to this, that some people just seem to be more like better to kind of deal with, ambiguity and we've had a conversation on never getting ambi how do you do that with well, yeah. courage is a great way you have to be able to step into yeah. the unknown boldly be an explorer yeah. of um but you know we often can feel embarrassed or you know uh challenged by that that can be a real barrier i think for many of us and particularly when we're supporting learners in classrooms or supporting kind of our team within an organizational setting as well um so you're asking you're asking me if uh Courage is a way to go from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. 
Yeah. Well, I'm just interested in your, you know, when we look around, some people seem to have more courage. And yeah. I look, sometimes I look at those people and go like, oh, I'd, I'd love to have that amount of courage. Like, what, is, what have they done? What, what actually, what thesis um, do we have underpinning what I, what that? What I write about in my book is, is that courage is not a what, but a when. Courage isn't uh. something you have or don't have. Courage is an exceptional response to extraordinary circumstances, as, as a few researchers that in the book uh, refer to it, which I thought was really great because... Mm. And it, becomes less about whether you are or are not courageous is whether you can respond with courage when the moments call for it right it's not, it's not it's not something you're trying to be it's not it's something that you're trying to do mm. uh, and 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 i think and i think when when you when i think when i thought about it that way it it was it wasn't about oh that person is more courageous and i am not because you might be more courageous in a certain context, maybe sure. you know, going up on stage and addressing a classroom. And I might be more courageous with, I don't know, say, picking up a pen and sketching. Uh, but it, it really varies. The context really vary. The one thing I do think one can start getting used to is, is the components. You can start getting used to how fear feels. Mm. Uh, and, and, and you can always recognize that feeling that, oh, no, 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 this is just... My fear that is, that is you know talking to me from with with the voice of an inner critic or or you know trying to scare me away, you can get better at clarifying what really matters to you. What is mm. what is it in this moment that you care about? So whether it's a reflective practice, I think those are the things that you can get better at, and then they, those can make it possible for you to act with courage yes. because yes. you know what that your fear feels like and what really matters. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I don't necessarily like the idea of someone being courageous and other people not being courageous yeah. because we all have, we all have those dilemmas when you need courage. And I think we all have the capacity to, uh, to rise up step in yeah to stand up so i love that so much ashish that's so great the yeah courage isn't oh, it's not a, a what it's a when you know yes. in those situations that we that we all have and actually the, one of the great examples i think from education is when i often speak with teachers if, if you're a primary teacher you're some yes. some primary teachers just say they're terrified of teaching secondary students, adolescents. And if you go to the secondary schools, they're like, oh, well, I'd never teach kindergarten. That's great, you know. It's, yeah. it's this interesting thing, it's so contextual. And yet, yeah. so they both see the other. I mean, it's yeah. just a generalization, of course. But yeah, that I think really speaks to this idea of courage. But like what? you said, it's uncertainty. It's, mm. I mean, they have taught adolescents for so long, so they know it no longer requires courage because they know how it'll play out. Maybe you might have one pesky student, but like five good sure. ones and so on and so forth. <laughs> But then you're like, who knows what's going to happen with... If I were to think about... Like, I used to teach uh, grad students and undergraduates at the D school. Mm. But if you were to ask me to do a workshop with kids, I would be petrified <laughs> to start with. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of... I think a lot of people in society would say that, actually, that aren't teachers. Um, you know, the incredible role that teachers play. Uh, yeah. I want to tell us... Take us on a detour. Good courage and bad courage. You know, yes. So this context around, yes, it's the, it's the when courage is a, is a when consideration. There's a time, a context, a moment where we step forward. When can courage not be what's required? It's not the 
courage can is not what it's required. I think what happens is, um, I mean, courage is, courage is, uh, when you act with courage, things aren't 100% clear, right? You don't know if, so, I mean, I had an example from mm-hmm. the book, which is, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the book, uh, but there's an example about a supervisor finds out that one of their reports is stealing or right. is lying. And then they have two choices. Either they can let them go because it's, it's the values. Yeah. 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 Or they can say, let me give this person another chance. And then because you're the supervisor, everyone, I mean, you're sort of exposed to everyone wondering what's the decision this person is going to take. You'll be judged based on your decision. Mm. So, so, and he says uh, that the real choices are in life are not between right versus wrong, but right versus right. Both of those decisions might be right. Oh, interesting. Which one are you going to choose? So I think when I, when I talk about good and bad courage, it's, it's about when you act with courage, you have no control over how those actions will be perceived. Another example is, I think another everyday example is giving feedback or sharing feedback. And it, it's, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's always a challenge for both the person who's giving it and the person who's receiving it. And the person who's giving it has to like muster up courage and say, I mean, this relationship really matters to me and I'm going to speak the truth. And to the other person, it's like, I mean, this guy's an a-hole, right? <laughs> so from their point of view, yeah. to their point of view, yeah. They don't see your actions as good, whereas you might see your actions as courageous. Mm. So, or or your, your values might be misplaced. I mean, if you think about people who, in their younger years, really cared about a cause, and then on reflection or in later, later years of their life, realize that, oh, that isn't something that I really believe in anymore, yeah. but I put all of, all of my energy into it, uh, that can happen too. So, so when I talk about good and bad courage is that one of, the, one of the parts of the future being uncertain when you act with courage is that you have no control over whether it will be perceived as good or it will be mm. perceived as bad. Another thing I, phrase I use in the book is many change makers look like troublemakers at first. That's great. That's really great. So, yeah, I mean, the one thing, the, the only thing you can be sure of is that you are at risk. I think when you... <laughs> when you put the risk on someone else, I think that that's when that's to me that's no longer courage. That's right. yeah. and there's a funny little comic in the book that that describes that with with uh, yeah with the example of a guy feeding someone to a, something to a tiger. It's a, it's a, well, it's a wonderful actually, and of course because most people are listening to this, um, some might watch it on YouTube, but the um, you know this. It's a, it's a phenomenally visual book. All these guides are. I mean, there's so many wonderful, you know, cartoons in, in yeah. here, like illustrations about, and they just really hit home. Um, yeah, half of the book is a comic book, really. Yeah, yeah, it's so great to see. The other thing that I really uh, really stands out to me is, you know, this, this idea of practicing in context your courage. So, yes. so yes. you've got all these great, frankly, like, um, practices. It's called try this, you know. So it's, you know, try try to shrink your fear and yeah. using that. And you know, so do it. Oh, I try a risky streak. So take us through one or two of these things to make you know, because everyone's always struggling with fear and with challenges in a complex, uncertain world. 
So what are some of those, those things they could try, you know, that, yeah. that can help build that? Two tools that I try myself from my book. Mm-hmm. Um, one is the one that you mentioned, Shrink Your Fear, which is just listing down your fears. Um, there's an amazing uh, improv teacher that I quote in the book who said, uh, fear is not the problem. Fear consuming your attention is the problem. Mm. Because instead of focusing on whatever is at hand, you let fear consume your attention. So what happens when you just list down your fears, you can quickly, uh, like it stops playing on a loop in your head. And I mean, that's really a design tool. I think what designers do is they express their ideas and then you're like, oh, this idea makes sense. This idea does not make sense. And the moment you get them out of your head onto a piece of paper Mm. as a list, you're like, this makes no sense. That is not important right now. Okay, these are two or three fears that do point to real risks that might mm. come to pass, and then you can you know work to mitigate those risks. That so fear listing or shrink your fear is one. I like that. That's great. The other one uh, I call the risky streak is mm-hmm. like how do you how do you minify? Uh, it it really comes from what psychologists call exposure therapy, right? If you're scared of needles, they'll get something from far, uh-huh. like get a needle like really just in the room. Then a little bit closer, a little bit closer. <laughs> You're like, okay, so. okay, it's not as scary. Um, so the idea of a risky streak is to find an analog or find a, like a tiny version of what you have to do mm. that might give you a sense of how that fear feels. And then you can do it over and over again, or you can scale it up. I mean, one yep. thing I'm trying to do is, uh, I'm, I'm not really good at self-promotion. And I'm like, use your own book. Like, what can be a risky streak that you could do <laughs> to, to, you know, like put a little bit of yourself out there each day through Twitter, through Instagram, whatever it might be. And I still haven't started. <laughs> so, so, you know, fear is, fear is a powerful force. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think those are two tools that I think are easy ones to pick up. Just yeah. get your fears out of your head. I mean, this example of just saying hi to a stranger and nothing more, <laughs> like, my, that's it. That's, that's That's like a mini, mini version of, uh, of a, maybe what would otherwise be a much more scarier event. I, I, those are wonderful. Shrink your fear and a risky stretch. I really like, I like them both. Uh, when I was younger, I really didn't like heights and I've really been yeah. doing a risky streak for the last 15 years, I guess. So, you know, oh, wow. skydiving, like paragliding, abseiling, you know, um, hiking the plank road in the sky in China, you know, it's sheer drops everywhere. But of course, the more I've done it, the more comfortable I now am because I have the previous experience of myself, which wasn't catastrophic. It wasn't a catastrophe, thankfully. What was the first one that you did to beat your... Probably bungee jumping in New Zealand. It was petrifying. But I've done it now five or six times around the world. And yeah, this it's... I think it's just really interesting because then, then you kind of there's a there's a trust piece. It's like oh, I can trust myself to step into these contexts and know how to respond. Great, that's a great phrase right there. Uh, and I've been thinking about a lot about that myself. Um, I recently started business, which has been but of a mixed bag. And then when I think when you experience failure, you lose some trust in yourself because you trusted yourself to be uh-huh, remarkable, a particular way. Um, and I had never thought of it like that, that I think when you practice courage, um, you start trusting yourself more to do riskier or scarier things. 
Thank you. Well, you know, I, the other, the other, I remember some practices, some Tim Ferriss practices actually. You know, one was about just even eye contact, like keeping, you know, looking at somebody in the eye. I mean, which of course is very contextually and culturally appropriate yes. and inappropriate, right? Depending on where you are in the world. But, yes. um, you know, even the things like planking, like there's this one in, I think, the four hour work week where the assignment is to go to in a public space, just lie face down on the floor for three seconds and then stand up and just keep walking. And I mean, it's, it's kind of quite perverse way of just getting so comfortable with, with what you consider parts that you're so embarrassed by. Yes. You just do it and then yes. keep walking. You're like, is everything okay? You're like, yeah, fine. Thank you. You know, because it's like those, that's like, it's somehow just practicing, like reforming your relationship with fear. And also, yeah. as you mentioned with failure, and I mean, we had, we had Lara McBain and um, Don Baghetto on here. You know, it's the first part of the season we're, we're filming. That yeah. was all about what's your favorite failure? How do you really own failure and see it as growth and opportunity? Um, yeah, and I, and I love that kind of the oxymoron of favorite and failure. It's, yeah, it's right. framing what that failure is, that it's something positive versus something uh, that you have to run away from. Yeah, I think it calls them like discomfort challenges or something like that. Yeah. That's right. Something along those lines. Because I just, when I was reading your book, Drawing on Courage, it's, it's what came to me as well. Where, you know, when am I practicing these moments? I mean, the other thing as a languages teacher um, mm. is, you know, learning other languages as an adult is one of the best ways, in my view, to practice yeah. courage, daily cover, courage. Because we're, we are uncomfortable by failure and in public embarrassment. And yet, when you're proficient at some things in life, having to learn a new language as an adult yeah constantly uncomfortable constantly in the unknown you know and and making some pretty bad errors you know like you know over time <laughs> which are all learning it's all this wonderful learning um yeah ashish i've got a a question i mean a lot of the conversations we have and that, that i have are really around the emerging future of learning and mm -hmm. that can be at any setting you know k to 12 pre-k higher education yeah. vocational even workplace learning and development you know, yeah. I know you, you work a lot in that space, particularly as an entrepreneur. So yeah. where do you think, if we apply this kind of to the learning systems around our yeah. world, what might be missing at the moment? And what, you know, in the next 10 years, do you see, you know, like, I don't think, are we having these conversations in schools, for example? Well, what would you gift us in terms of where we might be going in, in our learning systems with this principle of courage? Um, I think I've been thinking a lot about learning in places which aren't officially places of learning. I mean, mm -hmm. you go to school, you go to a college, you go to university to learn. Uh, but what about when you are walking around your apartment block? What yeah. about, I mean, the workplace, especially where the focus is so much on outcomes, metrics, um, and one can really feel like a cog in the wheel. Uh, and there isn't an explicit, you know, person in front of the room who is facilitating or teaching or coaching and there isn't an there isn't a clear stance that oh I'm here to learn mm. um, so and I think those are the, those are the moments that when you experience um, I think my mother used to say say this um, it's a rare gift for someone who wants to teach someone to find a learner and it's an equally <laughs> rare gift for someone who wants to learn something to find a teacher. Yeah. And often you find them on accident, by accident in the real world. Um, 
And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what lessons from that apply to the future of learning. You mentioned Stanford 2025. We actually one of the we the way we did that project was we said, okay, th let's zoom out. Uh, let's go to the year 2100. Yeah. Uh, and then come back to the year 2025 to have a museum for what happened in the year 2025 as an experiment. And one of the then we created little design objects that could provoke people's thoughts about, oh, we have like, there was a new way to accredit people. Yeah. Uh, one of the themes was we called Open Loop University. So the idea was, it was reframing the gap year, that instead mm. of going to school for four years, you, you go for eight, but you keep looping in and out of the real world and then coming back, That's really back cool. to college or back to school. Um, and I, I think that, I mean, that theme, um, always really resonated with me and in some ways I keep trying to do that uh, with like an online course mm. Uh, mm. so on and so forth uh, but really really um, giving people chances to take what they've learned in the classroom and not just apply it in the real world I think that's a very obvious one but uh, find out when something they've learned is the wrong thing that they've learned Yeah. find out that Oh, they missed a whole big piece of what they learned, um, and and you know other real moments of learning that can only happen when you're out in the wild rather than <laughs> in the classroom. I love and that. I think, and that's what courage really matters, right? Yeah. Because when you're out in the wild is when you are at risk. Yeah, that's such a great point, Ashish. And I think just to reflect on on that, it's like how many opportunities are we giving to our learners in all contexts, yeah. particularly our young learners? to practice courage, to, to understand failure, to navigate ambiguity, uh, you know, to be, to be part of something, to belong. I mean, it's really interesting. Yeah. I think if we protect our young people too much in these kind of yeah. almost sanitized, hyper safe environments where no one's climbing trees and a whole range of other things, ultimately there's no practice anymore. We don't know who we are because we haven't had that exploration. Um, you know, that return to this deep self-awareness of here's who I am and here's what I might be able to contribute to the world or here's what I'm most curious about and then following that thread and then seeing what unfolds and eventually you end up, okay, great, this is maybe what my life's work will be or, or this chapter's work, you know? Yeah. Um, Remember that story about uh, playgrounds where like unsafe playgrounds are more safe for children than like the... Uh, oh, no, I don't know that one. That's great. Oh, look though. it up. I'll send it to you. There's That'd a story amazing. about how uh, there are two kinds of playgrounds. And one of the, most of the playgrounds with, you know, uh, like padding and plastic, you fall, and, you're fine, yeah. all of that. The people, kids have more injuries there than a different kind of playground, which is chaotic. I'm going to yeah. find that. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> An article and send it to you. Yeah, because it's, it's that risk. It's understanding what risk is, you know, and, yeah. and actually allowing, and this sounds really hard to say as an educator even, like so inbuilt into us, but, you know, allowing kids to be risky, like to take risks, measured risks within different contexts. Yeah. Not, not unnecessary life-threatening life risks, but ultimately ones where, you know, you, you'll see all the young children that are exploring, can they step down the step? Like, is that too risky? And we're so quick little, to come to their aid. A bungee jump, if you will. Well, yeah, I don't know, a bungee jump, you know, as a 10-year-old. You know, that's a bit risky. But yeah, there's something about that, I think, that's really, really fascinating. Um, actually, this piece on courage, I think it just resonates with, with every single one of us. Risks worth taking and stands worth making. And when, we, when to display courage. Not yeah. do we or don't we. It's like when yeah. 
might we? Um, yeah. I'd, I'd love for you just to offer a final reflection. What's something that you want? What's the take home message for all of us <laughs> as we think about the work we do, the people we are, where we have to be in the world as a, as a, you know, from your, from your own inquiry? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the one that when you had asked, send me the list of questions, one thing that I had in mind was courage is a when, but I will, uh, I'll share something that comes from Barry Spiggles, who was also at the D school. Um, and I learned this lesson, I first read it and it really spoke to me and then I learned it more viscerally recently is how you are is what it becomes. So the way you are feeling, thinking, uh, what you're worrying about, what you're excited about, what you're uh, currently studying always shows up in your work, whether that work is um, something you're designing, whether mm. that's a team that you're working with. And I'm really learning how my mental states, now that I'm back working with a large team of people, show up in my interactions in my work. Um, and yeah, I've gone back and read that little, little phrase and piece from Sarah's book a few times. Mm. How you are is what it becomes. Um, and I think courage is one of those, those things too. I think when you manifest it as who you are, what might become can be much more um, radical or mm. something that shifts the status quo. Yeah, impactful and inspirational. Uh, yeah. That's really great. I mean, I like this idea that change makers look a lot like troublemakers at first. That's a really great reflection as well. Like, you know, and you think about some of the contexts, you know, be it in schools or in informal, non-formal contexts as well. You know, people that really look at, that, that do look at the status quo and say, I think something needs to be different. You know, they yeah. are the ones that shape the world and, and that is an act of courage itself. Uh, Ashish, God, it's been fantastic to speak with you. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. Thanks for putting this amazing book together, Drawing Thank on Courage. Uh, yeah, and all the best, you know, modeling courage and, ex you know, exploring it alongside all of us as well. It's been great to have you for the Learning Future podcast. Thank you for having me. It was great to speak with you, Luca.